Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow your own food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Roger Dworin of Kitchen Gardens International to talk about his experience helping food gardeners through crowdfunding and grants. Roger is the founder and director of Kitchen Gardens International, a Maine-based nonprofit network of over 35,000 individuals from 120 countries who are taking a hands-on approach to relocalizing the food supply. His work and ideas have been featured in the Chicago Tribune, International Herald Tribune, New York Times, and the Washington Post. Roger's successful proposal and petition campaign to replant a kitchen garden at the White House gathered over 100,000 signatures and international media coverage. He was voted the grand prize winner of the On Day One contest sponsored by the United Nations Foundation. Roger first became involved with food issues in Europe as head of Friends of the Earth's European office in Brussels during the 1990s at the height of the European Mad Cow Fuhrer. He is also part of the American NGO delegation to the UN 2002 World Food Summit. He enjoys cooking, gardening, eating with his three Belgium-American boys, Francois, Maxime, and Sebastian, and his wife, Jacqueline. Welcome to the show today, Roger. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me, Greg. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to where you're at now? Well, the sort of funny version of my path is that it's taken me about... 45 years to travel about 100 yards in my life <laughs> in that I live 100 yards away from the house that I grew up in as a child. Oh, wow. And my parents are still in that house. So, um, But the longer version of the story is that I had a, a very indirect route just across my own neighborhood in the sense that I moved abroad for 10 years for essentially all of the 1990s. Uh-huh. Um, as you mentioned, I was I was working in Europe during that period of time. And like a lot of uh, young people decided after a certain amount of time, after being away from home for a a long period of time, that I wanted to get back to my roots, so to speak, and get back to the state of Maine 
and really bring my, bring up my own family here. Uh-huh. But I do really credit the the time that I spent in Europe with uh, changing the way that I I looked at the world and changing the way that I looked at the work that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I had the the good fortune to sort of fall into working for an environmental nonprofit group over there, as you mentioned, Friends of the Earth. And we were doing a lot of very good work and important work. But what I discovered in my my six years of working for Friends of the Earth was that the work that really resonated the most for me was the stuff having to do with food. Um, And so it was really during those six years of working for Friends of the Earth that I started to get more and more interested and involved in food issues, sustainable food issues, mm-hmm. and really started to put myself on this, this path. But what I think changed in terms of my the way that I looked at things was I got a little bit discouraged at the same time when I was working for Friends of the Earth, just because I thought that the things that we were trying to do, although they were very worthy, they just seemed somehow out of reach mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. that doable. And I started asking myself the question, you know, how can we make people feel empowered and how can we get them connected? And, and I just kind of came back to this idea, if we could get more people growing more of their own food, um, that would be a really big deal. And so that's really, you know, sort of where things started for me in terms of planting the seeds of, of what mm-hmm. would become uh, Kitchen Gardens International. Nice. So I, I want to kind of look at a couple of things you said. You said the issues you were dealing with were out of reach. Can you kind of say a little bit more about that? What what does that mean to you? Well, for example, um, even back in the the nineteen nineties, there were a lot of people uh, concerned about climate change, uh-huh. and Friends of the Earth was one of many organizations that was already working on that issue. And but it, as you know very well, you know the environmental movement has continued to work. Tireless, tirelessly on that issue, but it's it still can be difficult to sort of see mm. the progress that we're yeah. making. Yeah. And I guess with with food gardening, there's this sense of okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do what I can, and I'm going to be able to see the the results, you know, the fruits of my labor, you know, literally within a month of, of doing something. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, especially if you're talking about salad greens and radishes and things yep. like that that can right. that can grow so quickly. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's what I was referring to, this idea that, you know, if you get a bunch of people working together on these big complex issues like climate change, of course we need that. I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that, uh, that that's not good work that oh, needs to be done. Exactly. Uh, but just for me in terms of what I was doing, my approach, I felt like I needed to feel empowered and I needed to find other ways of empowering people and ultimately arrived at the conclusion that if we could get a bunch of people doing these small things, these small mm-hmm. tangible acts, yeah. that would actually be a pretty powerful thing. Yeah. I, uh, wow. That Great. Well, very well said. Thank you. And I, I, I like to call those the grass, grassroots efforts um, where we're actually going out and planting seeds, both metaphorically and specifically planting seeds. Mm-hmm. So you also mentioned uh, sus- working on sustainable food issues. You know that that word "sustainable" is thrown out a lot. And mm-hmm. can you kind of kind of frame out 
what that might look like, sustainable food issues? Well, just some of the other issues that Friends of the Earth was working on in the 90s included uh, genetically modified foods and organisms where I, I continue to feel like we're, we are conducting a very large scientific experiment hmm. on mm-hmm. ourselves yeah. where I'm not convinced that, first of all, there's actually a need for some of this um, because I think the, the seeds that we have are actually have proven, them, proven themselves to be quite effective. Um, Over millennia. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm not convinced that we, you know, we need a genetically modified cow or salmon. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure. I think the, there are some renowned scientists who will argue that we, in fact, need all of these genetically modified crops and organisms. But I'm concerned that we really don't know what the implications are going to be by sort of releasing these things um, out there into the world. So I think there are some sustainability issues associated with those. And, you know, the whole idea of sustainability is connected to what some people call the precautionary principle, which is, you know, if you're not 100% sure of what the implications of something are, you'd be, you would do very well to sort of proceed very, very cautiously, cautiously. in terms of what you yeah. do um, to the environment. Yeah. Um, then, as you mentioned in the, the little intro there, uh, in the 1990s, in Europe at least, there was this thing called the mad cow crisis oh, yes. going on, <laughs> which had everything to do with the way that animals were being fed. They were essentially being fed themselves, which, you know, it goes against, nature in every every sense in the same way that you know humans wouldn't want to be fed ground up humans cows mm-hmm. aren't meant to be fed uh, fed ground up cows right um so i think those were some of the the sustainability or sustainable food issues that i sort of cut my teeth on mm. you dove in deep back then yeah there were there were a lot of things going on and i think what what did strike me was just how uh, connected people felt to those issues. You know, mm-hmm. with with food issues, mm. you are working on the environment, but it's sort of like the environment that we eat on a on a daily basis. Right. And so I, that's why I think food is, is such a powerful topic, just because we're all connected to food. Yeah. And once we start to understand just how the food issue is connected to so many other issues, mm-hmm. and not just the environment either. I think that's one of the, when you look at the, or I look at the arc of my, my work over the years, uh-huh. it all started with the environment, but mm-hmm. I'm now seeing that it's it's sort of going to other places that I wouldn't have been able to necessarily predict before, right. um, such as issues of fairness and social justice, that everybody should be able to eat good food. And not It shouldn't be just something that the, the most affluent uh, members of society should have access to. Fantastic. So this kind of all leads to this really cool nonprofit that you've set up called Kitchen Gardens International. Well, I appreciate uh, the fact that you find it cool. Um, it's something that I didn't really have much of a choice, I think, in a way. I just, <laughs> just said to myself, you know, what it, what is it that I'm looking to do? And, and if it isn't out there, I guess I'm just going to have to start it myself. And, yep. and I saw that there were a lot of different gardening organizations out there, including some some amazing ones like we have here in Maine. We have one called the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, MOFCA, doing great, great work. But um, I felt that there was 
something sort of missing on the the nonprofit landscape in terms of having a group that was really focused on food gardening mm-hmm. and that, that had the potential to bring people together uh, to exchange some information, but also to sort of rally together when there was something that was too big for any one of us to accomplish, where if we were able to sort of speak with one voice and pool our resources together, that we might be able to, you know, pull off something pretty, pretty cool and important. So that's really been, that was how the idea came about, that uh-huh. I thought there was, there was going to be something good that could come of bringing together a lot of kitchen gardeners or food gardeners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the organization has changed quite a bit over the years. We were initially, I think, more of an educational organization, just exchanging information about the growing of food, you know, most of that online. But then we went through more of a campaigning phase, trying to communicate just how important food gardening was, especially to people in high places. Uh And now we've moved into another phase, I think, which is really trying to partner with like-minded people and groups on the ground across Mm. the U.S. and around the world Mm -hmm. to make sure that they have what they need to get on with this. And that's where all of this grants work um, comes in that that we're focusing on at the moment. Great. Well, it's not a small organization. In your bio, it says over 35,000 individuals in 120 different countries. We, yeah, we have somehow managed to I think, <laughs> use the, the internet and social media to bring a lot of people together. We actually have even more uh, people than, than the 35,000 on our Facebook page. So as you know very well, there are just so many people out there who, who want to be part of something positive yeah. and want to be feel connected to the earth and feel connected mm-hmm. to each other because there is a lot of negativity out there, but not... Uh, not that much among gardeners, I have to say. It's right. just such a such a good, healthy group of people who are yeah. just trying to get on with uh, healing the planet and feeding themselves good food, feeding their families, feeding their communities good food. Um, so I take a lot of of energy from them. Nice, nice. So, what specifically does Kitchen Garden International do? Well, our focus now is on a particular program called the the Seed Money Program. Perfect. Tell um, us about that. Which, well, it's the sort of the newest version of something that we had been doing for a few years. We we decided about three years ago that um, one of the the best ways that we could sort of add value to the work that was happening at the local level um, in various communities was to make sure that various types of food garden projects had the resources they needed to kind of get on with the work that needed to be done. Mm-hmm. And um, so we conducted various surveys and polls and things like that and said, you know, what do you folks need the most? And what kept on coming up was uh, they needed money. Um, yeah. It's not like you need a ton of money to get a garden project started, as you know very well. We're talking about, you know, tens of dollars, maybe a hundred dollars, but we're not talking about millions of dollars here. But sometimes that that small amount of money, whether it's a hundred dollars or three hundred dollars, can really make the difference between a project um, getting started that was going to have trouble starting otherwise, or perhaps a project that that got off to uh, you know a decent start last year, but is struggling to 
to get up to that next level. Mm-hmm. So we, we did run this grants program for three years called the Sew It Forward program and just took stock really in the middle of, of last year, 2015, we just sort of went back to the drawing board and said, how could we do this work better? Um, how could we add even more value? And we came up with this new approach, which is the, the seed money program, mm-hmm. which we call a, a crowd grants program, which is essentially giving these various types of food garden projects. Our, our beneficiary groups are very diverse. They include schools, homeless shelters, food banks, juvenile detention centers, um, any sort of nonprofit group, really, that either wants to get a food garden project started or wants to take one that they already have up to the next level. Uh-huh. With, with seed money, what we're trying to do is to, um, to provide grants to them, but sort of take it one step further, which is to really sort of walk the talk when it comes to sustainability and self-reliance. We know that we're doing something good for a school when we're giving them a grant to to start up a school garden. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that project is only going to be successful if it can find a way of sustaining itself. It, right. can't, it can't really rely on that next grant coming in um, year after year. And so that's why we moved to this crowd grants model. And so in a nutshell, what that means is we're asking – our beneficiary groups to also raise money for their projects among their their own community members. Hmm. And we're um, offering them challenge grants or, or matching grants. Oh, nice. Um, and so it's it's worked out pretty well. We, we just finished up our first pilot project. We had really no idea whether the world really needed a crowd grants program for food gardens. So we sort of flipped the switch in mid-November and just sort of stood back and were absolutely amazed by the results as they started to stream through. Um, We went into that that pilot program thinking that if we could manage to help 75 projects raise $400 each, that we would, at the end of it, declare victory. Looks like you went way past that. I'm on this. I'm on the website <laughs> we, right now. We went. Uh, we hit that that goal of helping 75 projects reach $400 within 24 hours. Oh my gosh! Um, How cool it was is that? Just, it was crazy. It was absolutely just mind-boggling to just watch the donation stream in for these projects. Wow! Really, on the one hand, just a humbling experience, mm-hmm. but you know, primarily just a an encouraging experience to see just how much generosity there there is out there in the yeah. world and how much goodwill there is on the part of people who want to see these types of projects um, start and thrive in their own communities. Um, so by the time our 30-day pilot was, was finished, Greg, uh, we had just absolutely crushed our our target and we had had over 4,000 people donate a total of $153,000. Wow. And so we're wow. just really stoked by the results, and we're, we're working hard right now to figure out how we can just ramp up this program for, for the coming period. Nice. When I'm looking at some of these projects. They're all over the world. It looks like one of the more successful ones was in India. Uh, that that was the project that sort of um, surprised us just because we 
we don't really know um, what types of people and groups are, are behind all of the projects. We have our our uh, procedures in place just to make sure that you know each of the projects is a bona fide food garden project, and we do our homework to make sure that they're a nonprofit project and all mm-hmm. that. But when we you know flip the switch, it was really interesting for us to see as well which projects really you know, jumped out into the the lead in terms of mm-hmm. their ability to raise funds. That project that you're referring to in India just blew us away. They uh-huh. they apparently have a pretty good donor base already built up. So that's obviously a big, big help. Yeah. But then there were projects that, that surprised us too, um, that didn't necessarily have the big donor base, but they had very good communications about their project mm-hmm. and and once they had an opportunity to tell their story using our online tools, you know, they too were able to attract some donations that they wouldn't have had access to otherwise. So right. that's that's really cool, I think. Um, that's, that's a big part of what we're trying to do because when we arrived at the conclusion that we needed to do seed money, part of it was because we, we kept on hearing from these groups that they didn't really have the technical savvy that they they wish they had they didn't have the 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 communication tools that they wanted um the online donation tools mm-hmm. so we're just trying to to put those tools in their hands and give them a little bit of instruction about how to use them and then let them run with it um so it has been just a, a great great experience to to see uh just how well these projects have done. Wow, cool. So do you have one project? I know we talked about the one in India already that was kind of amazing. Do you have one project that really stands out for you? One one that just made the biggest difference for people or? Well, there there's so many projects I could point to, um, I, depending on, you know, the, the location. I guess one of the things that that always strikes me, I, I guess I like to think I'm a creative person, whether I am or not, but I guess I, I tend to be a, more attracted to things that are a little bit quirky and out there. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. And um, there's one project that essentially was a, uh, a garden on wheels. Somebody had the, the brilliant idea, why not just plant a garden in the back of my pickup truck? Nice. <laughs> um, and what's cool about this is that, as you know very well, there are parts of the United States called food deserts where yep. there just is no fresh food available, right. no nutritious food available. And there's probably space for, there certainly is space for gardens, but those, the gardens aren't being planted for, for good reasons or bad reasons. And somebody had the idea that if we could plant the backs of some pickup trucks and drive them into some of the poorest um, neighborhoods in some of the, you know, uh, hardest hit cities in the United States, Mm -hmm. that 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 could uh, be pretty powerful, that that could get people thinking about where good food could be produced. um, And the fact that it doesn't have to require a lot of space and and that food can grow even in the most challenging Uh (laughs) conditions. So we were very happy to to uh, to fund their project, and and so there are all kinds of projects out there: rooftop gardens, you know, gardens like I mentioned before behind homeless shelters, oh, right. um, where where people feel like they're they're very much powerless, and when you give them the opportunity to sort of take a, a tiny bit of control over some aspect of their life, life. 
they they feel empowered and they mm-hmm. feel a sense of dignity. Right. And um, there's really the the potential to to transform people. I think through gardening. It's extraordinary. It's absolutely extraordinary. So it, it looks like there are 326 projects here, and and there was there was a goal for each one of them. And um, did they all get funded? Well, in fact, there are there were. 525 projects that set up pages on seed money, wow. uh-huh. but not not all of them were actually going for the challenge grant. We were doing something which is a little bit of a hybrid cross, you might say, between our old program, the Sew It Forward program, and the new program, which focuses on crowd grants, uh-huh. in that we, we also gave out um, another type of grant, which is called a merit grant, and we've actually just mm. finished getting those out the door um, this week. And so a merit grant is something much more traditional. It's, it's very much the type of grant that we gave out for the Sew It Forward pro- program. Uh-huh. So there were quite a few projects that um, started pages on seed money and never really had the intention of using the crowdfunding tools, but they wanted to be in the running for one of our merit uh, grants. Perfect. But which is fine too, because some of the the projects I think were just doing this as a bit of an experiment too, uh-huh. which is fine. We're, we wanted to create sort of a safe space for these food garden projects to experiment with crowdfunding wow. as well, where there's really nothing to lose because the way that we we set up uh, our program, it's um, we don't use the what's known as the all or nothing model, mm-hmm. um, where you needed to get all up right. to a certain yeah. amount in order to to collect the, the funds that you raise, the, the funds that groups raised, you know, whether it was $10 or $5,000 like that pro, that project in India, mm-hmm. those funds go back to uh, to the projects themselves. Nice. Um, but we did have 380 projects that actually used the tools. Right. Um, so that's that's great. And we're going to, you know, strive to do even better than the next time around. Nice. Well, congratulations. This is just like, wow, how cool is this? So the, the, the web address is seedmoney.org? That's the one, yes. Perfect, perfect. So if people want to know more, get involved, they can go there? By all means. And just uh, to, to be perfectly clear, we are going to be offering more seed money grants later in the year. Uh-huh. Um, we're currently not accepting applications because we're, we're tweaking things trying to make things even better. Perfect. Um, but there is an opportunity for people to go to the site and to to sign up just so that they have the information about the next round of grants as soon as it becomes available. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I'm going to shift a little bit on you. We're, you're, you're speaking at the Homegrown Food Summit coming up here in, uh, in the next week or so. Can you give us a sneak peek about what you're talking about? Certainly, yeah. I'm really excited to be part of that uh, that great group of people. And I was looking through the other presentations that people are giving, and there's some great information that's, that's going to be shared. Um, I opted to give a different type of talk. I'd say the vast majority of the talks that are being given through the summit mm-hmm. are very nuts and bolts, hands-on, you know, here's how you can do this one particular thing in order to be more self-reliant with your right. with your own garden. And that, for sure, is uh, essential information that we need to continue to get out there and which you're doing such a great job of, Greg, with, with all the things that you're doing. But I opted to, to 
give a different type of presentation, which is more the, the sort of the view from 35,000 feet about just how important it is for uh, more people to be uh, joining the, the homegrown food revolution mm, yes. and um, also some of the obstacles that have been placed in people's ways along the way. So the, the title of my talk actually has to do with the, the fight for edible landscapes. And oh, a lot of people don't realize right. that there really has been a struggle going on. And I think it still is going on in different communities. So yes. I, I drew some attention to some of these struggles, some of the, the, the work that needed to be done to sort of pave the way um, so that it's become easier, I think, for more people to grow their own food now. And so I talked about different things like the, the campaign that we ran uh, to get a food garden at the White House and the fact that it did really require a bit of a struggle there. We, we happened to have very, very good timing as to when we did our campaign because it, <laughs> uh, the message really resonated with, the, I remember when with that... the Obama administration. Yep. But I was, I was doing that work in, in a way sort of standing on the shoulders of, of people who came before me in the sense that there were other garden advocates who had been asking to replant a, a kitchen garden at the White House in the, the 1990s as well. Mm -hmm. uh, people like Michael Pollan and oh, Alex yeah. Waters, they were struggling. You know, They were trying to, to make the case that this was something that was really going to make a big difference. But their, their calls for a food garden at the White House, unfortunately, you know, fell on deaf ears. So I sort of connect these different struggles that have happened over the years we also became very involved um, in 2011, 2012, 2013 with some high-profile cases where people were trying to grow vegetable gardens in their front lawns and right. were running into trouble, yep. running into legal trouble, mm -hmm. which obviously should not be the case. You know, What I've always said is if you're a, a mother or a father and you're trying to do the right thing, for your own family by growing vegetables in your front yard, um, you know the last thing you should should have happen to you is is be threatened with some sort of legal action. Yeah. You know you should you should actually have like a parade organized in your <laughs> honor. Um, <laughs> and so you know we tried to do some some media work associated with those campaigns and yeah. uh, petition drives uh, related to to them to to help them out. And generally, you know we had very very good results. With, uh, with every campaign that we were a part of. But then lastly, to sort of talk about the idea of the struggle um, and to sort of link back with uh, the, the seed money program, mm -hmm. there really is this struggle that so many individuals and groups face where they, they just don't have the basics that they need in order to get a, a successful food garden program started yeah. and keep it going. So I was in, in my talk, I'm, I'm talking about all those things. I'm talking about sort of the struggles that wow. the the uh, the garden movement has faced and mm -hmm. continues to face. But it's very much a hopeful talk because it, it talks about the fact that, you know, we're really making progress. And yeah. a lot of the progress, I should say all of the progress, has to do with uh, good people coming together and, you know, getting getting it done. Getting stuff done, yeah. Fantastic. Well, it looks like they have you on Thursday, March 10th. So I look forward to hearing your talk on that day. Like I said, there's so many great people that people can tune into. Yeah. So I hope uh, a lot of your listeners will, 
will check out the program and, and find a speaker or two that they're interested in. Perfect. So I'm going to shift on you and I want to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. Well, uh, that's a good question. I think one of the things I, I had to recently sort of describe myself and my work in terms of um, a, a rock star. <laughs> not in, and um, I, not that I'm on um, his level, but I sort of came up with David Bowie uh, as a bit of a, an inspirational figure for me. Uh -huh. um, as you know, he's, he's recently left us. Yep. But um, one of the things that I sort of took from David Bowie's life work was that you need to constantly reinvent yourself mm. um, in this world. Mm -hmm. And um, I think with the work that I've been doing over the years, it's I've come to accept that there's, there are cycles associated with the work that we do. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say necessarily that I've had some sort of massive failure, but I've I've noticed that there are these, you know, peaks and valleys with our work. When the the internet started um, changing, let's say, especially in, uh, I want to say, 2007-ish, uh -huh. suddenly there were more and more websites um, out there where there was very good quality information about gardening. I sort of reached the conclusion that Although with KGI, it was important for us to continue to share how-to information about gardening. Uh -huh. I, I sort of reached the conclusion that, you know, we were not going to be sort of one of the big players out there on the Internet when it comes to online information about gardening, just uh -huh. because there were so other many. organizations yeah. and, and sources out there that had much deeper pockets than we did. And so that sort of, that realization led me to, to make a shift and to say, all right, well, what's, what's the, the value that I could add or my organization could add at this point in time? And that's mm -hmm. what sort of led me to, to look into uh, this idea that, you know, there were campaigns that needed to be run. And then we, you know, like I said before, we had these, these few years where we were running what I consider to be pretty high impact, um, high media profile campaigns to promote food gardens. But even those sort of petered out after a while where I said, all right, we, we definitely made some progress there. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the, it seems like we're not seeing or we weren't seeing as many cases of people having trouble uh, growing a front yard garden. So that's what made me go back to the drawing board and, and say, all right, what could we do now that's cool and needed? And that's what led us to to get into the whole grants world. Right. Um, so I think that that's just what I've come to accept as being the, sort of the natural cycle of life. Mm -hmm. and it, 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 it is indeed that. You know that very well as a gardener yeah. yourself. Um, you grow things and they they thrive and they produce, but then inevitably they <laughs> they wilt and they end up in the compost pile. Yep. But then you spread the compost over the garden the next season and there's new growth. Um, yeah, so we're we're in that growth phase right now. I think with with the new work that we're doing, but you know I'm fully aware that you know we'll have to come up with something new in a couple of years and yeah. that's just the the way things work the nature of the business <laughs> yeah both in you know physically and meta and metaphorically mm -hmm. so what do you consider your biggest success 
Well, that's a tough one. I think if you'd asked me a few years ago, uh-huh. I would have just listened to the conventional wisdom and said the the campaign that I helped get started for getting a, a garden planted at the White House, that's uh-huh. certainly the that's thing huge. that a lot of people sort of associated with me and with my organization. We had all kinds of big-time media outlets looking into us as a result of that work. Um, but but now I have to say that I feel like the work that we're doing to help out all of these food garden projects across the country and around mm-hmm. the world, it, it might little by little start to eclipse the, the White House work. Wow. And if it hasn't happened yet, I think it will over time, um, just by by virtue of, of us being able to connect with mm-hmm. and and support even more of these projects yeah. over the, the coming, you know, three to five years. Yeah, fantastic. So what drives you? I, I've always been a bit of a, a do-gooder. Um, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I like that too. I was sort of the product of a, a Jesuit education, both mm-hmm. high school and college, where I felt like, you know, it's not about me, it's about doing something for the greater good. And... Um, I guess with what I'm doing right now, it's it just is a combination of, of doing work that I feel is, is very important and which inspires me, which also allows for a certain amount of creative expression. So I think it's really the, the, a combination of those things. The mm-hmm. fact that I want to, you know, when it comes time to... Uh, to sort of join that big compost pile in the sky. You know, I want to be able to look back and say, you know, you did some good things with your life. You helped a lot of people um, help themselves. Um, but then, you know, on a more personal and sort of egotistical level, I, I guess I want to feel like I somehow fully expressed who I was yeah. by doing work that, that really showed off who I am and, you know, what I consider to be my interests and my talents. Nice. That was very well put. So I'm all about education. And I have to know, is there one book that has been most influential in your life in the creation of your gardens or these projects? Well, I'm looking at a, a whole bookshelf full of books that have been important to me. <laughs> but there, I think there, there was one book in particular that represented sort of a turning point for me. It's uh, The Good Life by Helen and Scott Nearing. Um, if you don't know Helen and Scott Nearing's story, um, they were they're considered to be perhaps the the mother and father or grandparents of the back to the land movement, and they moved out of New York City initially to Vermont. Um, I want to say in the like the 1950s or so, uh-huh. and were homesteaders in in Vermont, and then ultimately, partially as a result of their own success. Um, Fled to Maine because they had all of these <laughs> young college students, um, you know, knocking on their farm door in, in Vermont, and the the experience of of being sort of out there in the the wild, um, they they were having a harder time just sort of getting on with their own gardening just because they had influenced so many young people that they were basically making a pilgrimage to their place in Vermont. So they yeah. they set up a new farm in Maine. That farm is still actually available to the public. It's called the Good Life Center. Anyway, wow. but the the story that they wrote, The Good Life, was really all about their journey back to the land and their reconnecting with 
with the land and all the good things that comes from the soil. And I actually discovered the book um, when I was living in, in Brussels. Uh-huh. And I was living on the fifth floor of an apartment building, very you know disconnected from the land, you know, both literally and figuratively, but craving that connection. And um, the fact that I had that, that opportunity to read that book, um, it really did get me thinking in a different way about myself and, and what I wanted for myself and mm-hmm. for my family. It, I sort of credit that book with ultimately getting me back to Maine um, and, and getting nice. me doing the work that I'm doing now. Yeah, it's called The Good Life, Helen and Scott Nearing's 60 Years of Self-Sufficient Living. Exactly, that's Very the nice. one. Very yeah. nice. So do you have one final piece of advice? I do. I, I guess I would recommend to people or ask people to think big but act small. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, we need to be ambitious uh, and we need to be hopeful. We need to be idealistic. We need to, you know, think these big thoughts uh-huh. um, because the, the world is, is asking us to do that. But at the same time, we do need to, you know, um, think in terms of some small things that we can actually get done today and tomorrow and next week. And, and you know, as you've heard a hundred times from me now, that's, mm-hmm. that's what I think gardening is all about. Yeah. Growing our own food is that to the extent that, you know, you have a 10 by 10 um, piece of land in your front yard, side yard or backyard, you know, you can get started with this and that it's, it's uh, good work. It's it's not necessarily going to be easy work, but very little in life that's easy is is worth doing. And you'll soon discover that you know you'll you'll have things down after a year or two, and mm-hmm. you'll you'll look at that ten by ten plot and you'll say, <laughs> hey, you know what? I can I can do better than that this coming year. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna scale it up a little bit. So I I think that that message of thinking small, or let's say working small, starting small, is important too, just because. Um, as you probably have seen with some of the, the different types of garden tours that you've done, you know, one of the worst things that can happen, of course, is that somebody encounters failure in their first year and sort of loses hope. And, and then I think, they stop. You know, one of the, the best ways to, to make sure that that doesn't happen is to you know, start in a pretty realistic and small way, mm-hmm. you know, get some successes under your belt, and then start to scale up from there. Fantastic. Roger, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us. It was my pleasure. And thank you for for doing this work that you're doing. It's great to to get the word Mm -hmm. out to to so many people. Absolutely. How can our listeners get a hold of you, sir? Well, they can go to a couple of places. They can go to KGI.org or they can go to SeedMoney.org. And um, we hope that that people will... uh, pass those links around if you if you yourself are involved with some sort of a food garden project a school a church um, you should definitely check out seedmoney.org or if you know somebody who you think might be interested in going through one of our grants mm-hmm. um, i greatly appreciate it if you could pass the link on to them fantastic that was kgi.org or seedmoney.org correct Perfect. thanks so much for that Absolutely. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. 
You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.